It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. So we want to thank uh, our sponsors. <clears throat> this series is sponsored generously by Michael and Phyllis Miller, commemorating the fourth yard site of Phyllis's father, Dr. Meyer Weiner. Chaim um, Meir Ben Yaakov Nachum Veliba Zichon Levracha and Shama should have an Aliyah. Um, and this year is also sponsored in honor of the Yurtzide of David Ben Yitzchak Alavashalom. His Yurtzide is tonight, his Neshama should have an Aliyah. Um, and I don't have the sheet with all of the rest of the sponsors, but we thank them all. And uh, thank you everybody for sponsoring the Torah learning here at Shirat David. Okay, wonderful. So the end uh, is finally here for Shaul HaMelech. It feels to me like we've been talking about the decline of Shaul HaMelech for a very, very long time, uh, over many, many chapters. But, but here it comes. Here we are today, finally. It's a painful goodbye. So we read in Torah Sam Rawanu, Plishtim Nilchamim Bi Israel. The Plishtim came and they fought against Israel. Fortunately, David is not among them, as we talked about last week. And the people of Israel ran, they, they fell apart before the Plishtim. And, and many of them died there in Har Gilboa. At Shaul bit banav, so they came. They 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 came hard after Shaul and his sons. Vayakuplishtim bit Yonatan bit Avinadav bit Malkishua b'nei Shaul, and they killed the three sons of Shaul, including Yonatan. Vatichbara milchama el Shaul, and uh, the, the 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 war kind of closed in on Shaul. They got closer and closer, and it got worse and worse. Vayimtzeu hamorim anashim bakashet, and the archers overtook him. Hard to know exactly what that means, but it seems that he was uh, that he was hit by by some of their arrows, um, and he was in right. He was in great anguish. Me'amorim. Is it from the fear? Or was he hit? Whatever it may be, it wasn't a good situation. Right. So take your sword out and 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 kill me with it. Right. Lest these uncircumcised people, these plishtim, these Philistines, lest they come and, and they'll, they'll, they'll kill me and they'll make a mockery of me. But but his armor bearer, his, uh, his young man who was there standing there together with him, refused to kill him. Understandably, are right? you going to kill the king, the, right, the Mashiach Hashem that David refused to kill? He was very afraid. So So he took his sword and he fell upon it. Right? He committed suicide. When, when, he, when his Nosei uh, his armor bearer, saw that Shaul was, had died, he also fell on his sword and he died together with him. So Shaul died with his three sons and the armor bearer, all of his men, they all died that same day together, right? fulfilling what, uh, what, the, what the prophet Shmuel had said, uh, in, in chapter 28, just a few chapters ago. Very, very painful. Right? Not only does Shaul die, not only must he die, but also his sons, right? which is no accident. We know it's part of God's decree. Right? If we had not been told that right, by Shmuel, that you, tomorrow you will die together with your sons, right? and you'll be there together with me in heaven soon, right? had he not said that, then maybe we could have thought there's some other reason why they were killed but now it's very clear that they're dying because of no. Shaul, right? This is part of Shaul's punishment. Um, because of Nob? Ah, so this is a question, right? Remember, this is what Shaul says, exactly. So it, it's a punishment for what he did to Nov. Now, we know why Shaul is destined to die in, in this battle for his sins. We know what his sins are. Right? We know why the Malchus was taken away from him because he didn't, he, right, he substituted his own wisdom for God's wisdom. I'm writing, actually writing a whole article about this now. It's a fascinating thing because you know, you, you know who, Bibi, who Bibi's favorite biblical character is, right? Shaul. Oh, no. So all the left-wingers, like when he said that, in a, it, was, it, it was with a, uh, in an interview with, uh, what's her name, wow. Barry, uh, the journalist, uh, Barry Weiss, yeah, Barry Weiss interviewed him, and, and she said, you know, who's your favorite biblical character? And he said, Shaul. Wow. 
because you know he because he's so tragic. So all the people who hate Baby BB jumped on it and said he's also going to have a tragic end. You know they immediately jumped on it, but I actually think they're missing the point because what was the you know the BB Shaul was not a bad person. Shaul was a great man. Right, but what was what? How did he sin? Do you remember from when we learned about his sin with Amalek? I know it's a long time ago, he but exactly, right? Hashem said, uh, "Right, don't have chemla." Right, doesn't say rachamim. You're allowed to have rachamim on Amalek. You're allowed to feel bad as you're as you're killing them and feeling mercy for them. That's okay, but don't have chemla, which was an intellectual, right? It's an intellectual reaction where you think you know better than God. Right, so it, it, the Malbum there talks about it. It's really we we learned this together. It's really really fascinating. So that's the that's the problem when you replace God's will with your own and think that you know better, right? So this that's like you know this is the question. I'm thinking a lot about this these days because as we as we'll see in the months ahead, what happens with Gaza? What, are we going to make the same mistake that we made way back when in 2005? We're going to pull out and give it to them again, right? Meaning in direct defiance of of what Hashem says in the Torah. Right, we have to. We, are we going to learn the lesson? Or are we going to repeat the mistake of Shaul, Bibi's favorite biblical character? So we'll have to see. But but that was the you know that that led to the to the decline. But then once he slaughters the town of Nov and the eighty five Kohanim, right? It, this is this is the punishment that's coming to him. Right, but but it's still it, it's fair to ask why do his sons have to die? And in particularly the great Yehonatan. Right, Yonatan was what was one of the most he's one of the most awesome people in all of Tanakh, and here he is. He's suffering, right? He has to die for his father, right? It's a hard it's a hard thing to understand. Um, Ramosha David Vali, number three here, he was a student of the Ramchal, a uh, a great Kabbalist himself. You know, in Italy, you know, so kind of he, an out of the box thinker because he's not Ashkenazi, he's not Sephardi, he's whatever the Italians are. They're their own thing. Right, that's where they think differently. They they come from they're they're different than us, which is amazing. So he says, and then it says, right, we, we know that that the uh, the judgment of Hashem is is level and it's balanced. And just as Shaul commanded to slaughter the Kohanim of Hashem in Nov in front of him and cause great pain, suffering to the Shechina, so too, right, in direct, um, in, you know, eye for an eye, right, his sons, he watch, his sons have to die before him so that he has to watch it, so that he has to see it. I can't even imagine how painful that was. Right? So he had to suffer from their death before his own. And only then, only after it says that they died, does Shaul die. Right? It had to happen in that order, in order for this to be, to be even. Now, what's the big question? This is terribly unfair. Right? Why, children should die for the sins? Of the fathers, right? Is that really fair? Right? We have a Pasuk in Shemot. Right? So this is a classic Pasuk that's coming up in a few weeks in the Parsha, where Hashem says, right, that he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. And this is always, this is a classic question. How could that be? The Gemara takes up this question Right. So instead of, we're not going to do a whole shear on this question, but I thought I found one, one uh, source that I thought was interesting once we're with the Italians, you know, so I figured uh, we'll stay within the Lozado family, you know. Um, so Shadal says as follows. He says, uh, it can't be that, that we believe in a God who is the great, all-powerful God who rewards and punishes, but then not believe that, that he is also incre- absolutely fair and righteous and truthful in his judgment. It can't be. Right? They have to go together. The Hashem has to be fair and truthful in his judgment. As, as Avram says, right, with Sodom, 
One, you who are the judge over the whole world, you're not going to do justice? You're not going to bring justice to the world? You're going to kill people who don't deserve it? Right? That's the whole back and forth with Avraham and Sodom. And Moshe says, Atzur tamim palo ki kold rachav mishpat. Right? And Moshe says that all of his ways are, are righteous. All right? he's, 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 he doesn't sin against us. He's not like us, where we might punish the wrong person. God doesn't do that. Tzadik v'yasharhu. So for children to be punished for the sins of their fathers is not, is not fair, it's not righteous. Right? So we have, it's amazing, in the Torah as well, the, the judges are explicitly told, do not punish children for the sins of the parents. Although I should point out that it's, it's not always so, it's not easy, right, With, in, in human justice, in order to, to make this even and to make this fair, right? Because, okay, we're going to say that we're only going to punish the father because he committed a crime and not the kids. But what, the kids don't suffer? Of course the kids suffer, right? The father's not there, right? And then it's, oh, it becomes one thing leads to another and, and he, fall, go, right, he falls into drugs in a bad crowd. He doesn't have a father around. His mother is working 24-7 because she can't make enough money to support the family, right? Of course the kid suffers, so there's, a, I'm reading a whole book now. I forget, I forget the name of it. Thomas Sowell, the, the brilliant uh, thinker. It's all about this, this, the difference between human justice and, and the desire for cosmic justice. You know, and when, when people try to, try to you know, get out of their realm of human justice and they try to achieve cosmic justice, right, such as reparations for slaves or some, slavery or something like that in America, right? I mean, really, none of the people today, <laughs> that's cosmic Right, that's cosmic suffering. You could say that, okay, that a black family today doesn't, isn't succeeding because their great-great-grandparents were slaves. You know, these kinds of things, right? That already, human beings don't do a good job of that, right? We end up hurting more people when we try to, you know, achieve cosmic justice. But God is not like us, right? God is different than human beings, right? God can do cosmic justice. Ultimately, these things do work out, we believe, one way or another, that God makes, you know, evens, evens up the score, right, for all of humanity. He's the ultimate Hatsur Tamim Palo, in a way that nobody else is. Um, so how does this work, do we, right? Uh, do we know what would have happened to Shaul if he didn't kill the Kohanim? Like how would, would he have just faded away? Or it could be, right. I mean, God already said that I'm going to give the, the royalty to a man who is greater than you, to your fellow who is greater than you. Right, so that was going to happen, but how is it going to happen? It could be that you know D- D- David was his son-in-law, right? He became his son-in-law. Could be that uh, Malchus would have gotten through his son-in-law, and he could have had Nachas from his uh, son-in-law. Well, and his Yonatan, then. right? So Yonatan was okay with giving it over. That was right. part of the greatness of Yonatan, right? So he, maybe he could have come to peace with that and listened to the prophet. And things could have gone in a very different direction, right? Yonatan could have, uh, you know, he and David, they, they could have been, and Michal and everybody, they all could have been getting together for beautiful family gatherings and okay. having eggnog. I don't know, right? They could have been having, you know, in the winter time and enjoying each other's company and redemption and would have been beautiful, right? And, and Shaul could have been there having nachas. Right. right? It could be. Isn't there something that I've read that... <clears throat> Had Yonatan just given David some food to take with him, yes, then he wouldn't have been starving and wouldn't have had to go to Nova in the first place for the. Right, so that was a source that I was in one of our sheets here, but we since I always go too long, I never get to the end. So actually, I don't think we. Have, that was actually one of the sources in one of the shirim that we did. Yeah. Um, but that's hard. That's it's really impossible yeah. to say that that any of this is due to that, right? I mean, it, it, this is way it's beyond. Yeah. It's a stretch. But yes, Chazal say that. It's not even explicit, right? That's, um, although maybe they say that as looking for something, right? Because trying to understand how could he be suffering in this way? How could the great Yonatan have died, have been killed, when, when he lived his life so unbelievably righteously? Well, so, I also thought maybe that Ah, yeah, so there's that. The Gemara talks about that, that it's only if the sons continue in their father's ways. But here, right. Yonatan went against his father. His father was so angry at him, right? I mean, his father threw a spear at him, if you remember, right? In the Machar Chodesh Haftorah, right? I mean, he completely rejected his father's ways and helped David behind his back. So it's a perfect proof, right? He should not be punished for, for Sha'ul's sins. Um, it, it's very hard to understand. 
Um, so I'll skip ahead a little bit here, uh, but but it, it, according to Shadal, you know, there, there's no way, right? It, it, God is God is going is, is going to bring justice one way or another, whether we understand it or not. He says, "Klaloshel davar pekidat avon avot al banim." Right? Why does God bring the punishment upon the children? Why does God do that? It's not to bring vengeance upon the person, the father. See, I'm going to get your sons. Right? That's, according to Shadal, that's not the case at all. Right? You deserve it. Rather, right? to help the person not sin in the first place. When you know what's going to happen to your kid, right, that prevents you from sinning. So the classic example of this is the law of Mamzer, of the bastard child. Right, you got to think twice. You know, in a moment of passion, you're gonna you know gonna cheat with somebody else's wife, right? And then what might come from that? Right, the suffering that that child will have for the rest of their life as a bastard can't marry anyone, right? There's nobody. Right? What for can you do? Right, right. I'm saying for gen- right. It's impossible. I'm saying it's like it's it's a, it's like a stain and a suffering. Now, is that fair to the child? The child is innocent. So the answer the answer is says Shadal. The whole point here is not to punish it. The, you know, hurt the child in order to punish the father. It's to help the father or the mother who, right, are about to give in to sin to remember, right? Jews know, right? I, I, think there's, I think Jews probably do this less than other people. We probably sin less than other people in this way because we're aware of, of not, not because we don't have a Yetzir Hara. It's possible for anyone and everyone. That's why we have women on one side of the table and men on the other. Uh, <laughs> no, but I say that's why we have boundaries, right? We have these things. It's important. But, but I think knowing this halacha makes a very big difference, right? That's why it's there. Um, but why does the child have to pay for the sin of his father? Ah, so the question is still there. It doesn't answer it, no. right? Um, so he says here, let's go continue. So it's not really spoiling, you know, justice. And so the, the child, the son of a wicked person, if he weighs his evil and his own good, his own evil and his own good, from the day he's born till the day he dies. So he says it's not possible that a, that a, that a child is punished purely for the sin of the father, that it, do, it has to even out in terms of justice. It has to. Again, this is very hard for us to understand when you look at somebody like Yonatan. Um, it's just that we have, you know, sometimes we, it, it's made a little bit more dramatic in order, right, to prevent the father from sinning. So we have to be careful as human beings not to punish children for the sake of, for their, because of the fathers and, and the sins of the fathers. Because, right, human beings, we, we can't properly measure all of this. This is what Thomas Sowell wrote a whole book about. It was already in Shadal. Right, I mean, he's very. I mean, it's amazing. It's like word for word from Shadal to Thomas Sowell today in his in his books. It's a really fascinating stuff. Um, that that, when, that whenever people try to create, you know, make cosmic justice, we make we, we make a disaster of it. I mean, absolute disaster, right? You know, and and so many things like this, like affirmative action, right? It's so well meaning, but I saw the disaster of affirmative action with my own eyes. I saw it in law school, you know, because they kept. What ends up happening is they kept bumping up people, right, black students, one level above where they should have been. So if they should have been in, you know, in, in a lower level law school, so they bump them up to Cardoza. They should have been in, Card- in Cardoza, they bump them up to, you know, Columbia. If they should have been in Columbia, they bump them up to Yale, which means that in every law school that they were in, right, they were always outmatched. Not because black people are, are stupider than white people. No, not at all. You have, they're just like us. You have smarter, you have less smart. But it's because they were always constantly mismatched in those schools. Mm. And they therefore always came out in the bottom percentages of the class. Mm. And many of them got down on themselves and depressed and dropped out of law school. Mm. Right? So you see, like, the very thing, right, we try to do these, like, cosmic justice, right? Mm. It, it harms the people. Some, sometimes it even harms the people it's trying to help. But it certainly hurts other people, right? So, so if it hurts the, the black people, Kavachomer, that it hurts the, the Asians, Right, who now can't get in, or the or the Jews who can't get into schools anymore, right? And the same, so it hurts. It's unbelievable, right? It's incredible. This is what happens when human beings try to do this, and so we are commanded: you don't try to do cosmic anything, right? You focus purely on the you know the, the law and the and the person in front of you. What they they get, what they get, and that's it. And there's nothing. You don't try to go any bigger than that. 
Because we, human beings can't bring justice the way God can. But we have to believe, says Shadal, that Hashem can and that Hashem will. That, for that if Yonatan, maybe there was some sin, and because he was such a holy and righteous person, therefore, you know, he was held to account for that small sin, right? I mean, the way great, just as Moshe Rabbeinu, is it really fair? He can't go into the land of Israel because he got angry for, for a moment at a rock? I mean, really? Right? How does that ever, no one ever really has a good answer for that. Right now we have other reasons. Hashem has bigger picture, you know, purposes here. But but I'm raising, you know, these things are important to raise as we read these psukim. Um, not that we have good answers, but I, at least that we should feel the pain for Yonatan. You know, who doesn't love Yonatan? Could, could you And what is he supposed to do, right? He's supposed to, like, let his father kill the, kill the, ne- the next king of Israel, <laughs> like, what, right? He saved up his life, right? I mean, there's no, there's no right answer. What was he supposed I think he was trying, right? We know that he was loyal to his father. He went with his father to war. I'm pretty sure Yonatan had an idea of what was coming, mm-hmm. right? He saw what was going on, how his father was a mess, and the Plishtim were coming with mass armies, and the people of Israel were terrified. He went bravely, Right? Meaning Yonatan remained true to his father as best he could until the day he died. And he died with him. That's great. That's the proof. Right. So, so, but I think there's another question here, which is, which is equally difficult. Given who Yonatan was, why wasn't Yonatan king of Israel? Right. It would have been perfect. Shaul, you're not worthy, but your son. Well, <laughs> question also is why didn't Yonatan fight Goliath? Goliath. Exactly. So this, I think, is a, is a, it's a fabulous question. They're related together, right? There's something, they, they come together somehow. And because that, that, when we spoke about Goliath, we said, what's going on? Yonatan, just a few chapters earlier, w- took on the entire Philistine army himself. So now he can't handle one giant. He took on the whole army before by himself with his armor bearer. They went up and they attacked and then and the miracle happened. So, so all of a sudden, the brave Yonatan can't fight? What's going on? How do we understand that? Uh, not so easy. So I, I want to go back to a Gemara that we, that we had learned some weeks, you know, some, some weeks and weeks ago. But I think it, it gives us a little bit of a hint. So this is a, going back to the beginning of, of when, of when uh, Shaul starts having his ruach ra'ah, his evil spirit. And he needs a way of calming himself and soothing himself. So one of the ne'arim, one of the young men there, one of his servants says, Hine ra'iti ben li'ishai. I saw that there's a son of Yishai. Beit Halachmi, right, from Bethlehem. Yodea Nagain, he knows how to play music, and he's a gibor chayil, um, right, he's a great warrior, at ish milchama, navon davar, ish toar, vahashemimo, right, all of these things, right, that one unbelievable thing after another, right, that he's, he's an amazing musician, valiant, you know, mighty man of war, he's deeply understanding, he's good looking, and God is with him. So Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rav that this whole Pasuk was said by Doeg, the evil Doeg, because he was pumping up David just to make Shaul jealous already from the very beginning, right? Doeg, the one who's constantly stirring the pot. So when he says, you know, Yodeyana gain, it means really that he knows how to ask questions in learning, that he's a gibor, that he knows how to answer. So whether, but the point is, is that he was, with all of these, these uh, adjectives, with all of these praises, he's really, you know, sowing the seeds for for the, the future problems between Shaul and David. How does he know all this? How does he know? It's a good question, right? And also, we didn't, at that point, nobody knew that David was a gibor, right? So that, that's why the rabbis say this, because this is, this is like ridiculous, right? David, okay, you want to say he knows how to play music. He's a kid who knows who's, got, who's good on the guitar. Okay, like that, that makes sense. To say all these other things, nobody knew anything about David at this point. But then at the end, I'm skipping to the end, the Hashem Imo, right? And God is with him. Shahalacha kemoto bechol makom, right? Meaning, God, right? The God is with him. The halacha is always with David. That somehow it's not just that he can learn, but that he has an intuition, right? You know, remember we learned about David libio merely, right? My heart tells me. There's so many times that where David is in these painful, painfully difficult situations, but his heart tells him to go one way versus another. And invariably, he's right, right? Because Hashem Mo, he's attuned to, to Hashem in a way that almost nobody else is, right? So for all of these other things, right? If you look at the last line in the Gemara, Shaul said, 
Yehonatan beni kamohu. Yehonatan, my son, is just as good as this guy. Whoever this guy is, David. I don't know who he is. But my son, Yehonatan, is just as good as him. But then when Doeg said, Vahashem imo, that God is with him, um, right, all of a sudden, chalash daite ve'iknebe. Right? So then he became weak and he became jealous because that's something that Yonatan did not have. That's something that Shaul did not have. This being so incredibly attuned to God and, and the, where, the, where the halacha is always with him, that his heart is always right. His heart is with Hashem. That, it's, it sounds hazy. I know it sounds fuzzy, but it sounds intangible. But, it's, but there's something here, right? That's, it's the opposite of Doeg. Doeg himself is a great Torah scholar, but he's the opposite. No, the halacha never follows Doeg because he's a great, he knows intellectually, academically, what, you know, what the Torah might say, but he hasn't absorbed it and Hashem's will, he's not aligned with God. So, so David is the opposite of him and he's in greater than Yehonatan, right? In every other way, Yehonatan is as good as David, but somehow in this way, he's not the same. Fascinating, right? And that could explain why he didn't want to fight Goliath. Right, so w- what we said then was that, was that Hashem made it that way. Hashem removed his, his gvura because this was the moment for David to step in. But we could also say, right, because I, I think it's hard to dis- distinguish between that versus the other case where he did have the strength, but there was something that he was lacking. And again, this is, this is, we should not take this as an insult to Yonatan in any way. Nobody in history, right? <laughs> nobody, had, nobody had this like David HaMelech. Certainly nobody in his time, nobody that we can think of was so connected to Hashem. No king, no ruler of Israel was ever that way. But maybe Yonatan did want to fight because his father was there and if he went he'd be upending his father uh-huh. right and it could be it could be I don't know I could also I could argue the I could argue the opposite also it would be it would, it would have given his it would have redeemed his father's embarrassment when his son the younger you know more vigorous son stands up and and you know you could argue the opposite but yes I hear your point um but uh, it's a good question, right? It's, not, it's, it's unspoken. We don't, we're not told anything in the Navi. It's all speculation. Um, but it's fascinating speculation. Like what was, what, what was going on those 40 days that Yonatan was watching Goliath insult the people of Israel? And he, he, I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, grab my sword, let me, let me go. But something held him back. Something he was just unable. He was on, he, right, whatever, whatever it was. Rav Aviner says about, about David, he says, no besides all of his other wonderful qualities, David Hugam Neimzmi wrote Israel, right? The sweet singer of Israel, whom is Amir Shirim El Yonim Niflaim Vaatsumim. He sings these beautiful, lofty, wondrous songs. Maleshira Nivuit El Yonah. These are not just songs. We know that the Psalms, the Tehillim, are prophecy woven in, right? It's a like Ruach HaKodesh woven in to these words. He has the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit with him. He was a person who heard the word of God, whether God was speaking explicitly or not, he heard the word of God, right? That's the halacha imo, that he always, the halacha was always with him because he was attuned to Hashem and God's will. And that's how he, also how he, how he lived as king. Right? And, and this is, we see this, we've seen this already, many examples, that David's natural you know, reaction to every painful situation or complicated situation is, what does God want? And that's not normal for most people, right? We don't, most of us don't do that. But David did. He had this, he was attuned. Right? He was an ish ruchani ilai. He had something um, that Yonatan did not have, right? And, and right, Yonatan, for all of his greatness, is not known as the sweet singer of Israel. And I think that, that the song is part of that, is an expression of the, of the uniqueness of David, right? The Hashem Imo, right? That when you, there's something about Tehillim that, that has you know, given strength to, to all Jews for all the thousands of years since David Amelech and will take us all the way through Mashiach, right? There's something from David that David had Right? And, and we were just talking about this before this year, that, that he's, it's not because David is perfect. David, is, David has flaws like other people. Right? David sins like other people. So it's not, it's not even that, right? It's not that, oh, David was perfect and Yehonatan sinned. It's not that. There's something beyond sinning or, or, or mitzvah that goes beyond that, that, that is captured, I think, in the spirit of Tehillim, which is right, this, this, this ruach you know, of Hashem that, that 
somehow Yonatan just was not able to, to permanently acquire. Maybe at that moment in chapter 13, when he goes and, and takes on the entire Philistine army by himself, he had that for a moment. And there are people who had it for a moment. David carried that with him all the time. There was like an attunement to God all the time. And that's why I think what, um, and this is a Gemara here that, that Rav Avinar is quoting. Also, this is all good review. There's a Gemara that we learned as well. That, you know, how some of the Tehillim start Mizmor le David, and some of them start le David Mizmor, right? So what, what is that? This is Chazal. They tell us, right? We learned this Gemara. Now, when it says le David Mizmor, it's teaching us that those were moments when he, when he was so connected to God, to the Shekhinah, right? That then he, that it, le David, he was connected to God, and then the Mizmor flowed from him. But then there were, right, there were other times that he was, even David was not in quite the same place, but Mizmor right, le David, that, that he, but he so desperately wanted to be close to Hashem, but he felt more distant. So he sang a Mizmor, and then, right, and that, and that was what brought the Shekhinah down, right? The Mizmor had to come first before the Shekhinah could come to David. Other, right, so depend, there, he came to the song in different ways. But all of this subtlety and how David was able to tap into song in all these different directions... Right? There's something that we find by him and by nobody else, right? with no one else. Right? So this is what makes David so, so unique. And if, it's, if it seems a little bit, again, ephemeral and hard to explain, I think that's because it is. That's because of how great Yonatan is. Yonatan does match David in every other way. He really does. And I think you know, this is something that we're looking for today. This is uh, what I've been, you know, I've been, I'm writing about now with, with Bibi and Shaul. I'm thinking about this. Right, like I, I, I'm not a you know everybody has this entitled their opinions. I'm not even really sure you know how to evaluate these people. I'm no great politician. I like to think that he has very good intentions and he's a warrior for the people of Israel. And we have to be behind him in a time of war, even if we don't like him. That's the way you know we have to. And I, I don't. I even think that all these people that we very much disagree with, they also generally have good intentions, right? I like to think that most of the leaders of the Jewish people today have good intentions, but, but. Despite all the good intentions, what we're yearning for, and, we, and I think what we feel we're missing now so badly as, as our lives and, and the, become more and more intense, and Mashiach, it seems, becoming, comes yet another step and another step and another step closer, we feel more and more and more the lack of a David type of a leader, right? That's what we're, that's what we're so desperately missing, right? We have all this strength now, and yet why are we still weak? Because at the core, at the middle, and it's not an insult to Bibi, Right, overall, right, that he's not David, but he's not. Right, and that, he's Shaul. He's in the world of Shaul, right, that it's no, it's not reasonable. We can't, it's not reasonable to go to God. The people don't think, you know, this or this, the UN or the or America, whatever it may be, right, that's not the world of David. That's not the world of David. So we, that's what we're yearning for, for a leader who is Hashem Imo, while also being able to appreciate the Shaul Amelech, right? We don't, we don't look down on Shaul Amelech. We, we, we appreciate the great things he accomplished for us. I was just thinking that the impetus, the trigger or catalyst for David to, to fight Goliath was the indignation and the rage that he should insult the army of the living God. And that is again, Hashem is with him. It's so present and central in his life that he has, that's, that's it. You know, he can't allow exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Whereas Jonathan doesn't have that. Right, he's missing that rage now, though he had it in chapter 13. And by the way, if you notice, when Shaul dies, right, he says to the, right before he dies, he says to the armor bearer, these arelim, these uncircumcised Philistines. He uses the language of David Melech. I think in in this last day of his life, after Shmuel told him what was going to happen, right, Shaul meets, as we talked about, there's a heroism here, greatness of Shaul. He meets the moment, right, these arelim. Right? That's one of the last words that he says in his, in his life. And we should be proud for Shaul HaMelech that he reaches that at this moment. Right now, we have to talk more about, we have to, there's a lot more to go through here. Um, you were saying, we're not up to the Melech yet. So we have Shaul HaMelech, which could be Bibi or whatever we say. And then all our Chayalim are, are part of the Melech army. They're not king yet, but they're all... Right, so this, this division between the people of Israel being beyond the government and being in a different place, right? As we talked about, Right, we look at Diveri Hayamim and all these, right, how it, it gives us all the, tells us all the, the details. All these people, Shaul's own family, were joining David in Siklag. People from Menashe and from God and all these places, they were looking for something more. They were not satisfied with Shaul, 
And that's exactly what we're seeing right now, right? The army, the, the, our soldiers in the army are ahead of the government. There's no question. There's a lag. And it's upsetting and frustrating, but we should also be comforted by the fact that this is actually laid out for us, that this is what happens in history, that this is, this is the way of, of, of redemption, right? That it, there's a, a painful time where we're sort of at, but it's a step forward, that the people are now wanting more means that we're another step closer to David. Now, none of this should take away from Yonatan's greatness uh, and the unbelievable kindness that he showed to David, which David remembers very evocatively at the beginning of Shmuel Bet. Okay, so if you look in the next source here, right, this is in uh, the first chapter of Shmuel Bet. He says, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Yonatan al-bamotecha chalal. Right, you've fallen right, you, on the high places. Tsarli alecha achi. Right, I'm, I'm in pain for you, my brother, Yonatan. Right? You've been so pleasant to me. Right? Your love for me was even greater than the love of women. Okay? Now, this Pasuk in particular has led to all sorts of uh, people without Yerushamayim, you know, who uh, giving all sorts of disturbing modern interpretations that they had some sort of homosexual relationship because your love for me is greater than the love of women. So I'm not going to engage in, in even refuting that claim. It's so stupid because well, in the Navi itself, they're going to put such a thing if that was really the case. Obviously not. Um, but it, it, but it's, it's a good reminder, you know, and, and uh, we've talked about this Torah before in the past, but it, to me it's, one of the, it's such a defining Torah for our time. Right? It says in, in the Gemara and Shabbos that when we go up to Shemaim, we're going to be asked different questions. Right? Did you, did you, did you engage in business honestly? We're, and were you koveya itim la Torah, right? Which means simply, did you set aside times for learning Torah? But Rabbi Leo Young, who was the great rabbi in uh, the Jewish center in the early 20th century, Rabbi J.J. Schachter likes to quote him because he came after him. You know, he was, a, or maybe a few rabbis later, the rabbi, you know, he had all these different, these, he was one of the great early American rabbis. So he had a most amazing Torah. He said, that's not really, the deeper meaning of what this means is where you koveya the itim, according to the Torah. Did you establish the times? Did you look at the times through the lens of the Torah? Because very often people make the opposite mistake. They are koveya Torah le itim. They look at the Torah through the lens of their modern times. Right? We have to be very careful. We're going to Tanakh because we want to look at modern times, what we're going through now, okay. through the lens of Chazal. And I mentioned, right, I've changed some of my views. I've modified some of my thinking. I, 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 like, I, and I'm, I take pride in this, that like, I admitted that I think I'm, I was wrong in some of my views on politics and so on, based upon my reading of Tanakh, the lessons that I learned from here. Like, that has to be our job. That's our job. Not to look at Tanakh and then interpret Tanakh according to our modern glasses are not are, are you know of the times right not the torah's worldview which is reading all these kinds of things into the torah so we're not going to do that but I, that's such a torah that's an amazing one kovea itim la torah or kovea torah la itim mm-hmm. that's the only torah i know from rabbi leo young but it makes me wish that i uh, knew more mm-hmm. right that's pretty impressive um but still what does that mean that the love of yehonatan for david was greater than the love of women we still want to understand what that means in a holy sense so i found from this Rabbi Yaakov Halevi. He says uh, very beautifully. He says, How do we understand this love between David and Yonatan, that it's greater than the love of Nashim? So he says that, The way of man, of, of, of men, is to conquer and to rule. But a woman by nature is more possessive. So he says, David So he says, the love that David is talking about, the love of women, is the love of Rachel and Leah for one another. Which is already like, whoa, we didn't even know what he, I don't even know what he's going to say yet, and already it's like bringing a smile, right? The love of women, the two great women of Israel, the two mothers of Israel. So Rachel knew that Yaakov worked for seven years to marry her. And then they both knew that Lavan was going to try to trick them. So what did they do, right? And bring another woman instead of Rachel. So what did they do? They made the simanim, the signs. We know this, right? So that way Yaakov would be able to identify Rachel. But of course, Rachel saw, right? When she saw that Lavan was going to give her sister Leah, right? That her, her love for her sister was like an eternal love. Um, and so that Leah should not be embarrassed. She gave the signs over to Leah, 
so that uh, she could, you know, so Yaakov would not know on the night of the wedding. Right? Pela atzum liroti shashi muchanalavatera Laman avatala achota. What a wonder to see a woman who's willing to give up on the love of her, her life, her, her husband, for the love of her sister. And lowly yot rechushanit, and not to be possessive, right, of her husband, which is the natural thing for a woman to do, to be possessive, right? That's why, you know, men are out there conquering and straying, and women are sitting in, you know, faithful at home, possessive of their husband, right, by nature. And yet Rachel somehow overcomes that. And, 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 is, and is for the love of her sister. But to David, there's an even greater wonder. Right? A man, his way is to conquer. Everybody in Israel knew that after Shaul would die, they knew that Yonatan would be the next king. Not only was he the oldest, he was the hero. He was the Gibor. He saved all the people of Israel. Everybody knew Yonatan. This was no, this, there was no debate. Yonatan was going to be the next king. With one sword, right? He killed, he, right, he defeated the whole army of the Plishtim, right? With all of their thousands and thousands of chariots. Yonatan was revered among all of Israel for his, for his gvura, for the strength of his heart, his trust in Hashem. Once Yonatan understood that Akash Baruch had chosen David to be the next king, he was ready levater al hamalucha, right for the tova of David. He was ready to give up the malucha to give it over to David, right? And this is what happens after David kills Goliath, right? He, I mean, he like he gives his clothing, his royal clothing to David. He's like, I'm with you. I'm behind you. I mean, it's not it's not normal as we talked about then. Right, so Yohanatan, I'm skipping now to the, towards the end. He, he himself was almost killed by his father for trying to save David. And this, this, this love of Yohanatan is a greater pella, it's a greater wonder in the eyes of David than, than the act of Rachel for Leah. Because for men, whose nature is to conquer and to, to be king, right? How many, how many men have died trying to become king? And Yonatan, it was his by right. And he, the fact that he was willing to give that over to David, right, is even greater than the love of Rachel to Leah. So that's what David means when he says greater than the love of women. I don't know if that's the shot, but I thought it was I like beautiful. The last line you missed. The last line here? No, Exactly. Right, Rachel gives birth to, uh, to Binyamin. From Binyamin comes Yonatan. And from, right, and Yonatan is the one who gives it over to David, who comes from Leah. So again, so, so Yonatan somehow outdoes his great-great-grandmother Rachel in his love for the children of Leah. Right? Amazing, right? So I thought that was very, very beautiful. Um, you know, so that, I mean, it's one of the greatest acts, as we've said, in all of Tanakh and all of, maybe in all of human history, right? If, if people say, um, you know, that what George Washington accomplished, George Washington was not the greatest thinker, he was not. Adam, both Adams and Jefferson and Madison, they were all a lot smarter than George Washington. Right. He was not the greatest general of all time. He had a few good high moments, but he made a lot of big mistakes. What was the greatness of George Washington? It was that he gave over the presidency to someone else, right? No one had ever done that before. Right? No one had ever done that before. Well, actually, they did. Yonatan, right? And Yonatan was not even in, nominally in a democracy. He was the next king. Greater than George Washington was Yehonatan, right? Yehonatan is one of the all-time, all-time greats. There's nobody like him. So we had to, stop. We had to, to talk a little bit about the sweetness and the greatness of Yonatan because uh, here he is. He, you know, Yonatan is leaving. He doesn't get to be king. Seems like he doesn't get fair shakes, but at least in our minds, in our hearts, we should, be, no, we should know to celebrate Yehonatan more than we do. But we have to talk for a couple minutes about Shaul and his suicide. I mean... How could it be? We just said, here he was, like a hero, rising to the moment after all of his sins. He's going to die. He could have run away. He had that option. But by, he was willing to die to atone for his sins, right, bravely with his sons, right? Can't even imagine what he went through. And yet here he is committing suicide. He's committing suicide. It's absolutely forbidden by Jewish law. I'm not going to get into all the psukim, but, you know, 11, 12, 13, all the Rambam, it's all very, very clear. 
straight from the Torah that it's forbidden to, right, to commit suicide. So how can this be? How can Shaul do such a thing? How do we understand it? So there are several reasons that I found in learning this. This is one of the, one of the many great questions in, in Sefer Shmuel. But uh, you know, this is more towards the top, right? Everybody has this question. How could it be? So says the Radak. We'll start with uh, the Radak. Number 14. Since Shaul knew that he was going to die, right? It's not like he, I mean, he was told he was going to die. So if he, by, by doing it himself, as opposed to getting killed by others, one way or another, meaning the reason suicide is forbidden is because every moment of life is precious. But if you know you're dying anyway, God has told you through Shmuel that you're going to die. So it's not quite the same as a standard suicide where you're giving up years of your life, the greatest gift from Hashem, right? That's not the same thing. When God told you that it's going to happen on this day, in this moment, in battle, right? So it's not like, right? I mean, Shaul saw that. So, so that, that's one explanation, which I think makes sense. Um, it's a unique situation. This is not normal. How many, nobody else gets prophecies like this. But how do you commit a Mera to atone for all your other sins? The point is, is that it's not the Avera that it normally is, meaning this is an exception to the rule. Okay. Because... The whole reason suicide is forbidden is that God gave you life, and who are you to take it away? But when you've been told that God is going to take your life away anyway, so then, you know, the, the prohibition on suicide gets lifted. That's the, the Radak's explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, Rabbeinu Tam, who lived during the Crusades, when many Jews had to choose between conversion or death, right? And many Jews committed suicide or they, you know, killed their own children. I mean, all this horrific, these horrific, horrific stories that we used to try on Tisha B'Av to cry over them because we were trying to cry. We don't need to do that anymore. We have other things to cry about now, right? We don't need to worry about the Middle Ages. I really think that's the case. I don't know. For me on Tisha B'Av, I don't, I don't even bother anymore trying to cry over the Middle Ages. I know, maybe I should, but I'm just telling my own, maybe that's my weakness. But uh, I don't know if I feel, you know, here we are. We have enough Tisha B'Av to go around. As long as he's not doing Kino this year. I'm not doing Kino this year. Okay, okay. So we have enough, exactly. So... Rabbeinu Tam, who, you know, who saw this, he lived this, he says, right? So he says, When someone is afraid that idol worshippers are going to force you to sin, right? they're going to force you to, they're going to punish you until you convert to Christianity or whatever it may be, or to Islam. Right? So, then it's a mitzvah. Right to, to to take your own life so that you don't you don't fall into the you know to conversion and, and turning on God. So in this case, right, we could say I think very much about Shaul that that was the case. Why did he do this? What 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 did he say was going to happen? Right, if you look back at the Psukim, right, the, he was afraid of the terrible disgrace that was going to happen if they caught him alive. Says Rav Cook. He was afraid that he would be abused in public. Right? He was afraid that they would force him, marching him through the streets of Gaza. Right? We, don't have, we know, you know we have these images in our minds. We don't have to think so hard. We, just saw, we all saw this. Right? Mark, can you imagine that? The king of Israel being taken through the streets of Gaza and forcing him to bow down to, to, to idols. Right. So for that reason, right, Shaul did the right thing, right, to take his life, very much, right, to prevent that from happening. Um, number three, Rabbi Shlomo Luria, the Yamshel Shlomo. Number 17, right, the third possible answer. Maybe when he fell in his sword, he was afraid that they were going to torture him and do all sorts of, you know, humiliation and disgrace. And then what would happen? Right? The people of Israel would see that this was happening. They would make him into a, into a spectacle. And then what would happen? Right? The, people would, the, the Jewish people would be losing their minds. They wouldn't be able to stop themselves from going in to save him, to try to take vengeance, right? And, and many of them would have died. They just got destroyed in battle. What, they, they were going to go in now and heroically save Shaul? No, they would probably try, and many of them would die. So what, more Jews needed to die, says Shaul, on my account? So, so he says, perhaps this is what Shaul was thinking as it goes through his mind, right? Better I should die now 
so that, so that I could save future Jews who are going to try to come in, you know, these heroic Jews who try to save me. And he knew the Gzeira anyway, that he's not supposed to, to, to escape. But the other Jews didn't know that. So they might have tried anyway to save him. Right, and that's what the Pasuk means when it, you know, when it says that maybe these Arelim will come and, and uh, stab me through. Right, that only eventually they would kill me. But they would, before I, they would kill me, they would, do, they would torture me the way that they did to Shimshon. Remember? They, they gouged his eyes out. These are the same plishtim. And they were making sport of him. Right? That's what they do to Jews. They make sport. Right? So in order to save other people's lives, you're allowed to kill yourself. Okay? Right? It's very, I mean, it's, it's wild to be reading of this, right? Another reason that the Yamshel Shlomo gives, number 18, which I think is also very powerful. If Shar Mishum Kavod Melech Meshuach Hashem, perhaps it's because of the, the Kavod of the King of Israel, right? Which is, She'ein Ra'ui She'yamut Bideha Arelim, that a king of the Jewish people should not die among these uncircumcised people. mitat At least to die in the battlefield is one thing. But to, to be taken there to die the way Shimshon was, but as a king, Shimshon was a lone ranger, right? The Jews never really accepted Shimshon, right? But Shaul, was the, he was their king. He represented the whole nation of Israel. It would have been a national disgrace. The, all the glory of Israel would have been thrown in the gutter. Right? It would have been a tremendous chilul Hashem right, for such a thing to happen to the leader, the king of Israel, right? And that's why despite our frustrations with government and so on, that's something that's always got to be in our mind is we're fighting a war, the glory of Israel and our leaders for all of their imperfections. Shaul was not so perfect, but his glory mattered because he represents Am Yisrael. All of our leaders represent us and they need to be treated with glory. Like I had this as like a real thing. I'm try, you know, going to a conference next month, a Christian conference in Tennessee and hopefully Ohad Tal is going to come. Right, our local, uh, our local congressman, you know, our local member of Knesset in Tamar, right, from the religious Zionist party. But it's, it better be bechavod, meaning the people in that convention, I, he, they should treat him like, like you know, who he is as a, as a representative of the greatest nation on earth, Am Yisrael, right? I don't want Ohad Tal coming and being a regular guy. It's not, it's not about Ohad. He doesn't care. He's a lovely guy. He's a sweet guy who lives in the Tamar with his family. He doesn't care. But for the glory of Am Yisrael, he has to be treated right, with great honor. And otherwise, he should not come to the conference if they're not going to have the proper speaking opportunities and give him the glory that he should get. It's a, it's a matter of national pride for Am Yisrael. That's very important. And I, again, like, I, I don't know if I fully appreciated this until I learned about Shaul. And this is something that, I don't know if we'll go through the whole thing now, but Rav Yaakov Moshe um, the great Rav Yaakov Moshe Harlap, the great student of Rav Kook, his uh, grandson, his grandson, Rabbi Harlap from YU, who was the head of YU Smicha, he just passed away a few days ago. Um, he was a great, great, great man. Um, so Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Harlap, he talks about, you know, the importance of, you see the, the title here is Kavod Yisrael. This is something worth learning. I mean, he talks about the, you know, when Am Yisrael loses sight and they forget about the glory and the greatness of our, of our nation and, and of our souls. If we forget our greatness, right? You know, this is a terrible, terrible chil Hashem. And then, right? That only leads the nations to come and treat us the way that they do. But when we carry ourselves with glory, and this has been a problem that we have not carried ourselves with the proper glory and self-respect over the last 30 plus years since Oslo, Right? We have not done that. We've caved in to people who are lower than us. And yes, they are lower than us. They're lower than us. They are. We're the holy people, and there are people that accomplishes nothing and only brings destruction and evil to the world. They are lower than us. Right? It doesn't mean that we don't respect humanity. But we are God's glorious people, and we were not acting that way. We're not carrying ourselves with that pride. So when that happens, right, there's a, there's a, he t- it goes on and on here, but it's worth, there's not time now, but it's worth, uh, if you have a chance, to read it. So, I think, you know, this, all of these explanations, it changes how we look at Shaul. If the, whatever, whatever it was that led him, we don't know what was going through his mind, but if it was any of these things, 
right? Our appreciation for Shaul in his final moments only goes, goes up. It only goes up. I have a question. What, what about the whole story of the Amalekite? Because that's not, you haven't talked about that. Okay. The story of the Amalekite? You mean the one, yeah, we're going to get to that. we got to get to it. Okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. Um, I mean, the truth is we talked, uh, we did talk a little bit about it already mm-hmm. when we talked about David and Amalek. Um, you know, why it is that David killed that Amalekite who says that he came and killed Shaul, right? Here, he doesn't appear in this story here. Maybe his body was still twitching, mm-hmm. right? After Shaul laid on his sword mm-hmm. and he finished him off, mm-hmm. right? That's part of the story that we don't find here. Right, it only comes later. Is it true? Is it not true? But assuming he, he did it, he said it, he's right, a testimony. So he, it, it does make sense. The armor bearer also fell on his sword, mm-hmm. and Shaul is on his sword, but it's very hard to kill yourself with the sword mm-hmm. uh, full, you know, immediately. It doesn't happen in, in seconds. He didn't cut his head off. He fell on his sword. And so as he's lying there dying, he, he asks the Amalekite to, to, to finish the job. So in any event... Um, so what follows from this, I don't want to spend a lot of time because it's, uh, it's, all, it's all depressing, but um, um, here in source number 20. So the people of Israel, they were on the other side of the valley, on the other side of the Jordan. They saw that the people of Israel had fled and that Shaul and his sons had died. Right? right? They left the cities. They fled. And the Plishtim came and they dwelt in their cities, which is like a very unusual thing to say. I would have thought that the Plishtim would have gone and chased them, right? To kill as many Jews as possible. But that's not what they did, right? They, as the Vilna Gon said, and we learned this once or twice before in the past, just as a reminder, that the Plishtim, their whole M.O., they caused us terrible suffering. Their whole thing was they don't want to let us right, be sovereign over the land. These Muslims, if they're in charge, completely sovereign, they can deal, they'll, they'll abuse their Jews, but they can handle the Jews living under them, right? Think about the uh, members of your family who are living in Iran right now, right? Your husband's family, right? 70 of them, seven, right? 70 of them. So how are they living there? In Iran, which is the epitome, the, the, like the center of all evil in the world, right? Because they have, they have their memshala. They can't handle that we had a Jewish king. They can't handle the glory of Israel, right? They can't handle, and, and so they, they, want our, they, they want control over our lands, right? So what, so what was their priority? They went for the Arim. They went to take the lands and to take possession of it to try to, you know, to, so that we should never come back, right? That's their, that was their goal. It's like, I thought it was fascinating, um, you know, and, and in Divrei Hayamim, when it's describing this, the same story, it says, Over and over and over again, it says, plishtim, 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 the excessive repetition uh, that Ezra, who is the one who wrote Divrei Hayamim, he repeats over and over again, unnecessarily, the word plishtim, right? Because Shaul was anointed precisely to bring glory to Am Yisrael and to, right, to free us from the yoke of the Plishtim, to bring sovereignty to the land. And so when he dies, and then when the Plishtim finally defeat him, right, it's the Plishtim, Plishtim, Plishtim. That's the, that's the result, right? He, that's, what, that's what comes, right? Because he, he failed, unfortunately, he failed, uh, like Shimshon before him and all the others, and Hafni and Pinchas, all the others who were killed by the Plishtim. He failed to hold them off to defeat them. Only after the seven of them die, right? Shimshon, Chafni, Pinchas, Shaul, and his three sons. Only after they die, after the seven die, can, comes David HaMelech, and he's able to defeat the Plishtim. He's, he's, in the end, the only one who's able, because he's not, he doesn't put his faith in mankind. He puts his faith in Hashem, right? And, so, and again, so I think that's our, you know, the lesson for our time. Right? This is the, the plishtim, they're like, they keep coming back. They, no matter how many times we beat them, how many times did we defeat them? Shaul defeated them. Shmuel defeated them. Yonatan defeated them. David defeated them. And all of these different, how many wars have we talked about where the plishtim were defeated? But ultimately, they kept coming back and, and they kept killing. They kept killing. They kept killing. It's like the, it's like the war that we're fighting now. Right? It's exactly right. Meaning it's somehow they lose, but they don't lose. Right? They lose, but they don't lose. What's going on? 
right? So we are experiencing that now ourselves. These plishtim, mm-hmm. they keep coming back and back and back, yeah. right? And so we, it's, but once Shaul dies, right? Once, right, finally we reach the point where the nation is ready for David HaMelech and for the path of David HaMelech. The greatness of David for all of, for, I mean, he's, and he's great. It cannot come to fruition if the people are not ready for a king like David, a king who's going to turn to God, right? That's why the, the movement and the change has to happen among the people before the government can change. Right? So we need our people. Right. Our, if our people are there, then we need the time has to come, right? And then maybe we're ready for the, for the beginning of David. And even that will happen in stages, but yes. It's so interesting about the Plishtim and they keep coming back and how the Romans use that, like rub our noses in the one enemy that was like such a horrible enemy to name the country exactly. after that. And now, who is the enemy that's doing it again? The one who called themselves that name again. Exactly. So look, we're waiting for David. We're getting closer and closer. We take strength in that. So we have two more weeks for this. Next week, we're going to try to do a real full evaluation of Shaul and his life. Big picture and a deeper understanding, and uh, we'll go from there.